Amen. Good morning, church. Good to see you. And uh, from my point of view, it's good to have masks off. And I'm not arguing about it, but for me, it's good. Let's pray and ask God to help us this morning and open our hearts to truth. Father, this morning hour, we just bow in your presence. We thank thee, Lord, that we can come unto a living God, one who is alive and one who meets our need and one who sees from the very end to the beginning of the world and of our life and all the tragedies that are happening. And we thank thee this morning that you are the living God ministering to people wherever they are, whatever the needs are. We pray now this morning that you'll just take your word and make it real, that you will touch our hearts and our lives, that you will give us some truth this morning that shall sink deep within our own hearts and lives and become a blessing. Touch our hearts and lives. You promised to bless your word, and so, Lord, we ask this morning that you will bless the word of God and be with it in our own hearts and lives. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Good morning to those of you who are watching online and those in Haida Gwaii, and we pray that God will just take the word this morning and make it real. And I want to speak this morning of the challenge of slavery. You say, good Lord, what's that all about? Well, you'll see in just a minute, but the challenge of slavery. For Church 101, Pastor Mark has given us four passages this morning from Timothy and Titus, which deal with slaves and with slavery. And so here are the passages, 1 Timothy 1, 3 to 11, 1 Timothy 6, verse 2 to 5, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 14, and then Titus. 2, 1 to 10. It's a very interesting place to kind of preach from this morning, and I tell you, it's going to be different because Scripture has some different truths to present to us again and again. I want to pull from those passages four particular verses that highlight what the totality of the passage is talking about. First of all, we have in 1 Timothy 1.10, these are the laws of the people who are actually immoral, homosexual, slave traders, for liars and oathbreakers, and for those who do anything else that contradicts right teaching. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Christians who are slaves should give their masters full respect so that the name of God and His teaching will not bring shame. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14, it says, Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And then finally, in two, Titus chapter 2, verse 9, it says, Slaves must obey their masters and do their best to please them. 
They must not fail at all. All of these passages actually speak directly about slaves. I'm going to address the scriptures and the passages and these passages that are given to us this morning, but allow me first to paint the picture for you from the Bible of slavery. In the Bible, in the Bible times, captured men and women were usually put on prominent places in towns to be sold as slaves to the highest bidders. You'll all remember the Old Testament in Genesis when Joseph was put on the selling block in Egypt and Potiphar bought him from the Ishmaelites. It was a normal place where buyers bought and sold slaves. The buyers paid the bargain price and the person was then a slave to them or for them for the rest of their lives. The person was a slave totally under the master's control. Masters provided what was needed and disciplined or rewarded the slaves as they saw fit. If I asked you right now, are you a Christian? Most of you, perhaps all of you, would say, well, preacher, what do you think I am? Of course I'm a Christian. That's why I'm in church. Okay. If that's true, let me ask you biblically this morning, what's your relationship to Jesus Christ? Is Jesus your special, powerful one? Your genie in the lamp like Aladdin? Because the lamp is yours, you have the ability to summon and temporarily control the wish-granting Jesus with all the heavenly power. So you can ask him for what you will, and he better provide. Or is your relationship with Jesus this morning one of a servant? Or thirdly, do you consider yourself this morning a slave of Jesus Christ? All of us as Christians are in one of these three relationships, believe it or not. And despite the fact that many folk recoil from a positive answer to the question number one, this is actually true of a vast number of so-called Christians. Jesus is good, but basically, he's our wish granter. The rest of the time, well, we do what we like. We live throughout the week, uh, and we do what we want. And then if we run into trouble or difficulty, we just rub our lamp. We pull our lamp out, rub it until it shines, and demand of Jesus, the wish granter, an immediate answer. Most Christians will answer the second question with, yes, we are servants. However, it's amazing if you stop to think for just a moment what a servant is. Most servants, 
We come and go as we please. We live as we please. And that's obviously how we consider servants. They do whatever they like. For you, for a time, but they're their own. And most of us would consider this morning, and at least I suggest we would, as you claim to be a Christian, you answer question number three with a very positive, no, I am not a slave. And yet, if you read the book of Acts, chapter 4 and verse 29, this is what it says. And now, Lord, take note of their threat and grant your servants, but actually the word in Greek, we'll come to it in a minute, is slaves. Grant your slaves that they may speak your word with confidence. Paul refers to himself and to Timothy in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, and he says, Paul and Timothy, and then you read your Bible, you read servants, and actually the word is not servants, it's actually slaves. So let me put it in perspective. He'll write, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Jesus Christ. This is exactly the same in Romans chapter 1, in Titus chapter 1, it says, Paul, the slave of Jesus Christ. Peter says in chapter 2, in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1, Peter, the slave of Jesus Christ. In Jude chapter 1 verse 1, it says, Jude, the slave of Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 1, it says, John, who writes Revelation, you know that, it says, uh, the slave, John the slave. They all identify themselves biblically as slaves of Jesus Christ, chosen, bought, owned, subjected to, dependent upon, disciplined by, rewarded, provided for, protected, and obviously obedient. John writes, in the book of Revelation, the final book of the Bible, chapter 2, chapter 22, pardon me, verse 3, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God, and the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants, you'll read in your Bible, actually the word is slave still, and your slaves shall serve Him, and they shall see His face, and His name shall be in their foreheads. Have you ever been branded? Ever been branded? Because if you're branded by Jesus, the Scripture teaches very clearly that you're a slave of Jesus. Revelation chapter 14 verse 4 reads this way, Then I looked, and before me was the Lamb, standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and the Father's name written on their foreheads. God had branded these folks as His property. Under His protection, He'd imprinted them with His name to share His holiness, but the divine seal of the name of God and the Lamb symbolizes, very obviously, ownership and the control of those who are thus branded. And John goes on to say the Lamb's army 
has been purchased from the whole family, the whole human family, and they follow the Lamb with us wherever He goes. So the Bible actually teaches that every real Christian is a slave. I guarantee most of us don't really like that terminology. We'd far rather be a servant. Or better still, we'd rather have a special little genie whom we can pull out from the bottle and rub it. And when we need it, say, Jesus, help me, and expect that he would help me indeed. Moreover, I doubt it if we have really thought the difference between a servant and a slave. The servant comes and goes as he pleases. He collects his pay at the end of the month. And he really has no relationship with the family or the corporation which he serves. But Scripture is very clear. The Christian is a slave. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. If you're a servant... <laughs> You can serve at least two masters. You can have a morning job and an evening job. You're a servant. But you cannot be a slave to two masters. Because you can only be owned by one. Our great biblical confession is Jesus is Lord. And in fact, if you want to be saved... You go to Romans chapter 9 and chapter 10, it says you must confess that Jesus is Lord, which obviously means He is sovereign over my life. Whatever He wants, I submit to. And so that also means that we're slaves. It's a clear meaning in Scripture that as a real, true, believing Christian, I am owned by God. Perhaps we need to remember again this morning that Jesus went into the slave market of sin and he chose and he paid the redemption price, his own precious blood. So we've been bought with a price. So we've been chosen, we've been bought, we've been owned, we're provided for. Scripture says, my God shall supply all your need. We are protected, we are disciplined, we are rewarded. Well done, good and faithful slave. And yet in John chapter 15 and verse 14, the New Testament, John chapter 15 verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. I no longer call you slaves because a slave does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I've learned from my father, I have made known unto you. In the Roman world, in the time in which Paul is writing to Timothy and to Titus, the passages we're looking at, there were anywhere from 14 to 15 million slaves. However, sometimes even in the Roman world, slaves were treated kindly by their masters and they became friends 
of the master and the family in which they were slaves. Moses long before had written in the Old Testament in Exodus, this is going to be true. For he wrote in Exodus chapter 21 verse 5, but if the, say, the slave declares, I love you, I love my master and I love my wife and my children, I will not go out free, then the master must take him to the doorpost of the house before the judges or before God, and he should take him to that doorpost and pierce his ear with an awl, and then he'll be a slave for life. You see, even in biblical times, Old Testament biblical times, there were some masters who were so loving and so kind and so generous that some slaves were prepared to be their master's slave for life. The Greek word for slave in the Bible, and forgive me, but let me point out to you, the Greek word is doulos. You can find it in any Greek translation of any Bible you've got. It is only one accurate, complete English translation, which is slave. It means to be owned by someone for a lifetime. The word is found in more than a hundred verses in the New Testament Scriptures. Doulos speaks of slavery, pure and simple. It's, you can't play around with the word. It's absolute and clear cut. It's not a lazy or an uncertain term. It describes someone who is lacking personal freedom, personal rights, whose very existence is defined as service to another. A slave obviously occupies a lower position than a servant because he actually belongs to the master. He's a piece of property in one word. He doesn't have a life of his own. He doesn't own anything. He's entirely dependent upon his master to meet his needs. He couldn't travel anywhere without his master's permission or consent, and his entire life, existed to serve and please his owner. On the next slide we'll see, let's look at the consistency of this word biblically. Scripture consistently uses the language of servitude in describing your and my relationship as Christians to Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, it says, you are not your own. That doesn't take care of being a servant. That's a slave. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 20 and chapter 7, verse 23, it says, we were bought with a price. You folk, if you're Christian, you have been bought. I don't know how you get around it. To me, that's slavery. In Titus chapter 2, verse 14, and 1 Peter chapter 2, 9, it says, we are people for his own purpose. That's slavery. Second Peter chapter 1 says, our master purchased us. That's slavery. As his doulos or as his slave, Christ requires everything of us. Our body, our spirit, our soul 
our life for his service. We really exist solely to please and to serve and to glorify him. That's why Jesus said, no one can serve or be a slave to two masters. Listen carefully to Jude for a minute. Jude's only got one chapter, so it's verse 4. Ungodly men turn in the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ, in other words, denying our master. You can only have one master because no man, no woman can serve two masters. Jesus is our only master and Lord. Perhaps you remember in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verse 24, it says, and Jesus told the disciples, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. When you and I accept Jesus Christ into our heart and life and become a believer, let me tell you this morning, the Bible tells us very clearly that we become a slave of Jesus Christ. Life is no longer defined by your own wants or my own wants or your own will or my own will or your own desire, my own desire, your ambition, my ambition. But by his will, his desire, his purpose. This is the basic truth of Christianity. Jesus is Lord. And if you are saying this morning, I am a Christian, and you really mean it, you are really saying, Jesus is sovereign over my life, and I do whatever he wants. I submit to it happily and freely. That's the great understanding of Jesus Christ being Lord, and therefore the Christian is his slave. We are owned, and where it's possible to fabricate our true relationship, we need to remember at least two verses. And they're odd verses, but you need to remember them. The first comes from Jeremiah, chapter 12, verse 3, and most of us don't ever turn to Jeremiah. But if you went to Jeremiah, chapter 12, verse 3, this is what he says. You know me, O Lord. You see me, O Lord. You examine my heart's attitude toward you. Or if you go to Proverbs chapter 16, verse 2, it says, And the ways of man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motives. I tell you, the words my attitude and my motive are very difficult words to deal with if you realize them. The Lord examines my attitude and he weighs my motives. As a Christian, yes. 
To say I have a personal relationship with Jesus is really very vague. What we really need to say is Jesus is Lord, and I'm his slave, the object of his love. It's really what Emily sang about in her, and I'll call it a new song because she said most of you won't know it on February the 27th. I don't know if you remember her song, but she sang the song. And part of it was, here I am, Lord, with open heart. Lord, I am available. God, have your throne within my heart. And allow me, Emily, to at least add that slavery. Allow him to have throne. His throne within my heart. Jesus is referred to 90 times, 92 times in the book of Acts. Only two times is he called Savior. But 90 times he's called Lord. And that designates him as having absolute rulership, total dominion, because he is the slave's owner. Luke chapter 9 verse 23 says, if anyone would come after him, let him what? Deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. To deny oneself literally means to deny my will, my ambitions, my plans, my desires. Christ doesn't want to come into your life to give you what you want. He comes into your life to command you and me do his will. The Greek word doulos, slave, is used at least 130 times in the New Testament. It means only one thing, very simple, very clear cut. It means slave, someone who is owned, who has no rights of his own. And you and I had no right to lay claim on God. You and I had no legal status with God that could cause us to benefit in any way. You needed an advocate. Someone who was acceptable to God who would take your place. And that advocate, obviously, of course, was Jesus. When the translators were translating the Bible from the Greek language, which it was, New Testament, why is all right, this is the language of the New Testament originally, and they began translating a long time ago. It was actually about May of 1524. They began to translate into the English language. When the translators would translate, the world they lived in was full of slavery, which was very cruel, extremely cruel. And so they decided to change the translation of the word doulos, which means slave, into servant. And consequently, they stole a tremendous truth from generation after generation of Christians. As a true Christian, you are his slave. And if we are the slaves of Jesus, then I suggest to you that it's time to start acting like one. Since all of these passages, the four passages which you're dealing with this morning, have given to us by Pastor Mark, 
they clearly tell us that we as Christians then are the slaves of Jesus Christ. And I suggest to you this morning that this needs to be demonstrated in our lives daily. Let me look at the scripture passages now. You said it's a long introduction. Pardon me, but we don't usually talk about slaves. Let me go now to the scriptural passages itself. Passage number one, then is the fourfold challenge of being a Christian slave. And the slide is number three. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.5, speaking of the aim of our charge is to love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. Note the four aspects that should depict our lives as the slaves of Jesus Christ. Love, pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. Think of love first. Our thinking should be motivated and dominated by love. Love will save us from arrogant thinking, from contemptuous thinking. It'll save us from expressions and arguments and views that hurt other people. Love saves us from that destructive thinking and behavior. And the man who argues in love argues not to convey his own viewpoint, but to win the person. A pure heart. And a pure heart simply means originally that which was not dirty, or in other words, that which was clean. But actually the word also means corn, you know the corn that you buy and eat for a meal? Corn that has been that has been winnowed and cleaned and cleansed of all chaff. A pure heart then is one whose motives are absolutely pure, absolutely unmixed. His only desire as a slave of Jesus Christ is to help, to illuminate, to lead people nearer to God. A selfless devotion to truth, a desire to help. He's moved only by the love of truth and the love of men. And then a good conscience really means knowing oneself or not being ashamed of anything we say or do. The Christian is the man whose thought and whose heart and whose deeds allow him to be able to say those things without being ashamed. And then his thinking is based on faith, which means taking God at his word and believing that God is as Jesus Christ proclaimed him to be. The means that the Christian believes that Jesus Christ has given a full revelation of himself. And the Christian thinker only thinks on the basis of Jesus Christ. Actually, these... Uh, Simple aspects Pastor Mark has been trying to drum into us over the last number of weeks. This is what a Christian really is. Passage number two is a challenge regarding the manner 
in which the Christian slave works. And let me give you a little bit of the background in Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, 1 and 2. It says, all who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect so that the name of God and the teacher may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters are not to show less respect for them because they are brothers. And look at the last phrase. Instead, they are to serve them even better. Because those who benefit from their service are believers and declare to them. There are things you must teach and urge them to believe. Jesus most important challenge to us was learn to be a good slave. If I'm slack or careless or disobedient or insolent, I merely support the world with ammunition to criticize the church. The Christian slave must commend his Christianity to the world by being a better workman than any other person. His work will be done in a new spirit. He'll not think of himself as being unwillingly compelled to work. He will think of himself as being one who renders his service to Jesus Christ as his master. His aim will not be to see how little can be forced out of him, but how much he can willingly do. Nothing will commend Christianity more than slaves who are good, honest Christian workmen. Passage number three asks a very simple question. Can God depend on you? 2 Timothy 1.13. Hold the pattern of healthy words, which you heard from me and in faith and love that are in Christ. Guard the good entrustment to you through the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Paul had entrusted his work, Paul the Apostle had entrusted his work and life to God. He was indeed, New Testament wise, very clearly God's slave. He understood it, knew it, and lived it out. He sowed the seed, he preached the gospel, and he left the result in God's hand. You probably know the verse. Paul said he knew whom he had believed. No, he didn't. He said, he knew what he had believed. Paul knew whom he had believed. Paul's certainty did not come from an intellectual knowledge. It came from a deep, personal relationship with his Lord and his Master. And God also puts his trust in us. The idea of God's dependent on his slaves is never far from New Testament truth. When God wants something done, he has to find a man or a woman to do it. That was the announcement we had this morning. He wants to find a man or a woman to do it. God wants a child taught, a message brought, a wanderer found, a sorrower comforted, a sick person healed, he has to find some agent, some instrument, some slave to do his bidding. No wonder Paul said to Timothy in that third passage, hold fast to the pattern of health-giving words. 
Have you ever thought of your words in that context? Hold fast to the pattern of health-giving words. Whatever you say should be health-giving. Jesus alone is the key. Or teaching that removes Jesus from the top of most places is obviously wrong. Faith is simply pure faith in Jesus. And the slave must never slacken in his faith. He must always be true to his faith and his master and Lord. Never ashamed to show whom he serves. Never fearing to stand by his master who accepted the cross for him. But there is hope too he must serve and never lose faith in his master. He must never slacken in love to see men and women brought to a relationship with Christ. To refuse to do anything in life but to seek their highest good. It meets hatred with love and indifference with passion for the master. God loved first and we as his slaves must love others. The fourth passage <clears throat> asks, do you preach well as a Christian slave? To Titus chapter 2 verse 6, the slaves are to be subject to their masters in everything, to please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. Do you preach well? <laughs> you say, preacher, that's your problem. That's what you do. We don't preach. No. Let me tell you a story. I don't know if you know St. Francis of Assisi. He was a abbot of a monk many years ago, obviously now. One day he said to one of his young novices or young friars, Let's go down to the village and preach to some people. So they went. The young novice was delighted. He was going with the abbot to preach. They stopped to talk to this man and that. They begged a crust of bread from this door and that door. St. Francis stopped to play with some children. He exchanged greetings with passers-by. And then he turned to go home. But the novice said, Father, when do we preach? And Francis smiled. Every step we took, every word we spoke, every action we did has been a sermon. We need to remember this morning that probably the only sermon that those who never come near to the church who are not saved and believers the only sermon they will ever hear is a Christian slave's gracious work, his life, his daily example at work. So let me conclude. Some of you say, thank goodness he's coming to the end. Let me conclude. There are three questions that everyone must answer as you walk out of church today. In a few minutes, you'll walk out of church. Three questions. Number one, as you walk out of church and go down the street and go to lunch or do whatever you do the rest of the week, 
yeah, I'm fine. I'm doing very good. But then you run into trouble or difficulty, and you pull out your lamp, you polish it up good, and you call on Jesus the genie to respond to your need, and he better respond because he's God. Or are you a servant of Jesus? Or are you a slave of Jesus? If your answer is yes, I am a slave, then how is your life measuring up to that? There's a fourfold challenge to love a pure heart, a good conscience, sincere faith. Do your work habits depict you as a slave of Jesus? Can Jesus depend on you seven days a week? Whatever he wants done, he can call him. You respond. As Jesus' slave, do you preach well every day? Not like a pulpit preaching, but living and declaring by the way you live that you are a slave of Jesus Christ. Let me suggest to you this morning that as you walk out of church today and go about the business for the rest of the week, whoever you are and whatever you're doing, the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, will confirm to you what you are. For some of you, midweek when you run into a problem, you'll pull that lamp out and you'll know that you're depending on something when you have need, or as you work through the week, some of you will be very conscious of the fact that you call on Jesus to do what you want, really. Oh, yeah, you believe him, but you know you're a servant. And some of you will hit the things in this week that comes, and you will know without a shadow of doubt that you are his slave. All the passages that Pastor Mark gave us today to read teach that we need to be lifetime slaves of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we bow in your presence this morning. We realize, Lord, that the New Testament teaches very clearly that we are to be the slaves of Jesus Christ. You bought us from the slave market of sin. You paid the price, the blood of your son on the cross of Calvary. And you challenge us to live as slaves. And now, to the one who keeps on loving us and has set us free from our sin at the cost of his blood, glory, dominion, belong to him throughout all ages. Amen. May the Lord bless you this week. May the Lord drop truth down into your heart and into your life. And may you rejoice in the privilege
slave of the Almighty God. Amen? Bless you, be with you, and the Lord bless you day by day.